Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the Celtics Blog Podcast number 46. Bobby Manning. And we have so much to get into. Isaiah Thomas talking to the Celtics, making his pitch to return to Boston. Was it a real possibility? Toronto, we got into that development up north a ton last week. We're going to do a little bit of a Celtics perspective after we talked to Sean Woodley last week about the Raptors' end. And Marcus Smart is back four years, $52 million. So all that's going on. It's the end of July. There's usually not too much to talk about, but I have the topics all lined up on the computer right now. It's it's looking like a good episode because we have a good guest, too. But first, subscribe to the Banners Broadcast. It's easy. You just type in the Banners Broadcast on Google, iTunes, Stitcher. Throw that at the end, and then you'll find it. The most important thing, if you listen to the show, you can do for us is to subscribe. So please do that. I'll appreciate it a ton. Uh, check out our episode from last week with Sean. He gave us a lot of great Raptors perspectives with Kawhi going there. Sentimentalism toward uh, DeMar DeRozan as he heads out. An interesting shakeup up north that we're going to get into here in just a minute as well. And Celticsblog.com. Head over there. We got Daniel Porsche on Terry Rogier's passing, which is a nice topic. Shane Larkin says Tatum could be a top five player. I like the sound of that. And random Celtics player you've enjoyed. Jeff Clark threw that thread up. I'd probably go with Brandon Bass. I love seeing Brandon Bass transfer from that dark era to that Brad Stevens era. And then me, of course, saying that the Raptors could threaten the Celtics in the East. So let's get into it today. We are joined by Ben Rohrbeck, who, as you know, has been covering the NBA with Yahoo since 2012. It all started when he covered the Celtics with WEEI at the start of the decade. Now we're heading toward the end of the decade. He's a BU grad, and he also created the Parquet Post, which you should go get. Subscribe to for $1 a month. That's $12 a year if you do the math. Thanks for being here, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. Isaiah, according to ESPN, according to Woj, reached out to Danny Ainge and talked about returning to the Celtics. That was some crazy news this week. I, I don't know what to make of it. I looked at it initially, and I'm like, ooh. Yeah, everyone gets excited about the idea of IT being back in a Celtics uniform. But then you look at the actual reasoning behind it. His market wasn't strong. Ended up taking the veteran minimum with Denver. Was it just a little bit of a negotiating ploy, or do you think there was a real possibility he could have come back to Boston? 
Yeah, I think there was probably some interest on both sides. I don't know. It seemed like once the Marcus Smart stuff got settled and he was back that there was just no room for him anymore. But um, but I think maybe as a contingency plan, if they, you know, if Marcus Smart got some offer that blew them out of the water and they didn't feel like matching it, that he was maybe another option as a as a fourth guard. But I'm not sure it really made sense for, for either side, like, for Isaiah, you know, he want. He, I'm sure he wants a an opportunity to show that he's still the player that that he was a couple of years ago, and I don't know if that was there for him here. And then for the Celtics' sake, you bring a guy that that had this huge role, and you'd be asking him to take a small, like, you know, cut that way back and and sort of take a back seat to a bunch of guys. I'm not sure how well that would have fit. So. I think it probably worked out best for him. Denver's a nice spot for him, I feel like. I, I love the fit there. No defense. They they were 30th in the league <laughs> last year on the defensive end, so there's nine. And, and it sounds like a joke. It's really not. Everyone I've said that to has been laughing. It, there's not going to be as much of a defensive emphasis for him there because that's really not a, a huge part of their success anyway. And I look at the Boston fit. Obviously, the foremost concern there is that there's not a ton of minutes, there's not a ton of shots to go around for someone who plays off a high volume. But there's also just such a massive emphasis on the defensive uh, strength of this team. That was a ginormous reason they were so successful last year, their top defensive rating in the league. And I think it's going to be again next year. Yeah, yeah, I, I would I would guess so. I mean, they brought everybody back. You had Hayward, who... You know, before the injury was a good defender, so I don't see any reason why they wouldn't be, you know, just as good or if not a little bit better. So he's on a one-year deal out in Denver, which seems like a pretty decent spot for him to rejuvenate his career if he's healthy, if he's able to get playing time out there in that mesh of offensive players. Do you ever envision a time in the future where he might return to Boston, whether it's next year or even further in the future? I mean, I guess it depends on, like, how these guys grow. You know, you, you could lose Terry next year. You could lose Kyrie next year. If that's the case, then maybe you consider it. But I don't know. I think that, that ship's probably sailed, is my guess. Celtics are moving forward. The roster seems fairly intact. The East is coming into further view. We talked a ton about the Raptors last week, Kawhi going up there, Danny Green going too, which I think is underrated. They look like a team that's poised to look a lot more like the Celtics do now with a ton of wings, one big man, one point guard, strong play on both of those ends. And a conference that looked fairly weak coming into a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, in my mind is a lot more threatening to the Celtics now just because arguably the better players on Toronto's side, if he's healthy, if he's engaged, all of that. What do you make of the Toronto uh, deal? Yeah, I mean, I guess it it entirely depends on what Kawhi you're getting. I mean, if he's the guy that he was before last year where he's a top three MVP candidate, then you really have to worry about them but he missed an entire year the thing the thing with the philadelphia doctor was a little strange the guy that was like the sixers team doctor who also saw his medicals and the sixers didn't seem to like blow anyone out of the water water with an offer so i don't know you know 
and it's hard to believe that he will be just pick up where he left off. So they should be definitely a challenger to them. But I, I still think the Celtics are a little bit, you know, with if everybody's healthy, a little bit ahead of them. It's so hard to read the Leonard situation. You hear so much about if he's healthy, if he's engaged. We don't know how healthy. There's just so much talk and so much unknown engulfed in that talk I feel like and then you had the reports from Chris Haynes that he doesn't want to be in Toronto and then it flips just a few minutes later that he's going to try to make it work the last time we saw him going full speed he was giving the Warriors a run for their money in game one and then he goes down from there and ever since it's just been constant speculation what's going on on that end it just seems like every single thing whether we're talking about his attitude or his health or even his play now is just completely unknown yeah, I think it's just so strange, especially because it's the Spurs, and it's like, why would you want to leave, you know, the best coach in the league, a stable organization that you won a championship with that can offer you a ton more money? It's just that that part of it is really strange. And then even more, all the stuff that seemed to create the divide about the, the treatment and stuff, it didn't seem like anything that was, you know, over the top in terms of, you know, hey, I need to get out of here or I'm not going to play for you guys. Yeah. Like, that whole thing was really weird. So it, it will be interesting to see because he's obviously made it clear that he wants to play in L.A. next year. So how he treats this this year in Toronto will be definitely interesting to see. The other thing I'm interested in is, um, is Lowry. He had such a close relationship with DeRozan. And, you know, there's been whispers that he's hasn't always been super happy with the Raptors so like that locker room it's it's not the same locker room it's obviously a, it's such now, a so ticking it's time be interesting bomb. to see how that yeah it's gonna be really they're really in a position yeah. and I, I wrote about this on the site they could be one year and done for them because so many contracts are up for them in the next year or two. Leonard's obviously an expiring himself. If it doesn't work this year, right now, with all the changes they made, we're, we're talking about the end of Toronto as a contender, it seems like. Boston's window is short with all these expiring contracts. I, if they're not able to retain this whole thing, as you've written about quite a bit, but Toronto's is, like, minuscule if we're talking about a window. So there's going to be a lot riding on this year for them. One of the long-term pieces that the Celtics are going to have in tow now is Marcus Smart. We talked about that over and over and over again, and it seemed like it was going to be a situation that stretched out all the way till maybe September, but it's done now. He's signed for four years, no player options, anything like that. It's one of those middling salaries, so people are talking about, you know, why when his market dried up the way it did, how did he end up with an offer that compared to what according to some reports, he was offered before and ended up turning down for free agency. I have two theories about it, the money, the trade value that comes with a deal that's about $11, $12 million. But I also think an underrated thing is the goodwill. You know, We heard Jalen Brown talk about the roster being overturned and some of the complaints he had about that when they just shook up everything last summer. Now that they're trying to retain a core, could that have just been a show of goodwill, not only towards Smart, but toward the rest of the roster with so many guys coming up? I think that's I think that's probably, like, the number one thing. They could have, I mean, they could have stuck it to Smart, but it seems like that that's a fair 
you know, contract for him, even though he wasn't really going to get that somewhere else. But, um, yeah, I think the biggest thing is that it sends a message to that locker room. He's a guy that those younger guys, especially, they love Marcus Smart. Like, that he's, you know, they always talk about him as a teammate. He's the number one guy you'd want if you need to go get a ball. That they're like, you know, they talk about his intensity all the time. So, um, to send a message to those younger guys, especially after the Isaiah thing last year, that was a little bit didn't put the Celtics in the best light in terms of like treating players with the you know like the most compassion, I guess. Um, it, it sends a message to those guys that yeah, we're invested in this core, and you know we'll pay you your fair fair value, I guess. Do you ultimately see him playing out that whole contract in Boston with all this talk that he could be a fill-in trade piece down the line? It's obviously so hard to tell who could be available. Who knew that Kyrie was going to be available last August? But with all that talk of that being money that could end up in a trade further down the line and some of the tax implications coming up, they jumped into the luxury tax after all with all the talk of them possibly trying to avoid that number that doesn't have to be settled until the end of the season but what do you make of the long-term nature of that contract given how many contracts are going to have to address over the next few years yeah i mean i think that's the nice thing for the celtics in terms of that contract is that it gives them the flexibility that you know we can keep this guy for four years especially if we you know lose uh Kyrie or terry next year um and I'm sure they would love to have him for four years, but if there's like, if if there's an Anthony Davis out there, that they won't hesitate to include him in that deal. And that that's that contract helps them, you know, match any salary in the league. I guess. Yeah, I guess that wasn't that hard of a question. So <laughs> no. <laughs> so you've been you've been rolling with the parquet post now. I want to get into that interesting idea, bringing together some Celtics coverage behind the paywall and trying to get a bunch of funds drummed up for that. While you're also doing the Yahoo job, well, how has that gone so far? What have you made of the experience over there? Yeah, it's been interesting to see. I don't know. I started it sort of because I. And not you know I, I'm around the Celtics a lot, but I, I don't always get to write about them for Yahoo. And this was an outlet for stuff that's more like Boston fan centric, I guess. But um, but yeah, it's it's grown every month. It's it's definitely growing, so that's cool. But it is hard to get people to actually follow through on like putting the one dollar, even if Isn't it's one dollar. It you know, it's it's one dollar a month, which seems like. Um, Have you gotten any people complaining about that? <laughs> Actually, I did get. I only gotten like one tweet of someone like, "Hey, what?" It was like I talked to Hayward a couple weeks ago, and the person was like, "Why is this behind a paywall?" I'm like, "Well, because it, you know, I work, I work a lot for it, and it's like a side thing that I don't necessarily have to do, but hey, it's a way for me to to sort of like." make it worthwhile for my end i guess the line of you know i i signed up for last night because it's no nonsense like what one two dollars a month is just nothing in the long run and the good part of it for you is at a price that low if a ton of people do it i understand the thinking that if a ton of people do it it does add up even though it's not much the apathy people have toward paying for anything the expectation <laughs> i talked i talked to matt more about this about a year ago like there's just been this built-up expectation, not only with writing and sports and that kind of thing, but with so many different realms that 
everything should just be free. And it's, it's hard to imagine how, how we're going to reverse that psychology that everyone's expected, writing especially, to be free for years now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. That's the thing that, like, is a little bit interesting to me because you don't, it's only a dollar. So it's not, I don't know if it's necessarily the money. It's just like the commitment or something. It's like actually the going through that in. extra step. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like doing the extra step of like going through the sign up process. So I don't know. Like, I don't know the, I don't know the answer to it is, is I guess my, like, I don't know. It's just, it's sort of an experiment on my end, but hey, it's it seems to be working enough for me to to give it another season, I guess. So you got to talk to Hayward face to face, huh? How the, how did that go? I talked to him over the phone, actually. Oh, I, um, yeah, close enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think he's in. He was in San Diego. I talked to him for a different story that I'm working on, but um, but I. I got a chance to ask him about you know where he was this was a couple of weeks ago where he was in terms of his rehab and stuff and he was just you know this a couple of weeks ago he's just on the precipice of um being cleared for one-on-one and then he thought you know that end of this like right about now the end of july timeline is when he could be fully cleared for five on five and and basically anything related to basketball what was the most interesting takeaway you had in the conversation? Um, actually, like the a lot of the stuff we were talking about was sort of the the relationship that he has with Brad, and um, and it was interesting just to hear his perspective because you know it was like it was like he he, he thought it was it's always been a little bit overblown. Uh, the like how close they were he was like well we spent like two years together in college i mean obviously we're we have a good relationship he recruited me and everything but i think it, it, everyone thought that he was automatically coming to boston because of brad and he was like it wasn't like that it was it was i was looking for a good coach and a good situation and he was like the the three teams i picked the heat the jazz and the Celtics were all those situations. But in the end, he did say that, you know, coming back to Boston, uh, that when he came to Boston and was walking around the city with Brad, that it was like seeing an old friend and falling right back in where you left off. And that, that did help. So in the end it was a help, but it was like maybe a little bit overblown about how exactly the whole thing went down. It's it's wild that they've only played one game together since now as we're looking at his return. Less than a quarter, actually, when we look at it now. I still can't. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen watching the Celtics. Because yeah. it was just... It, if it happened the second night of the season, the third night, it would have been like, wow, already? But six minutes in with all the hype of that matchup everything else like that's a moment you'll never forget for all the wrong reasons yeah like i I was i asked him i think i asked him like what's different about brad coaching style now from from what he was at butler and he was like i actually don't know because i only played for him for like six minutes so (laughs) um i was like oh but uh it's but yeah, he's like, I'll know better this year because I'll be around the team all the time. So. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure what happened, but I do remember at the time then they were talking about, you know, maybe he'll be around the team more often than we think, and he'll have, like, an assistant coach role. And I don't know if the 
weight of the recovery ended up being more than they thought it would be, but that never really seemed to come together. Some of the talks that he'd be closer to the team uh, in an injured capacity than they thought. He he seemed to be kind of on his own, doing his own thing all year. Yeah, I know there was a point where he was doing like video breakdown and that sort of stuff and like talking to players, but I don't know if he was like around practice and that sort of stuff like a enough to know how different Brad's, you know, coaching style is now than, than it was before. But but I think there was, that you know, there was some, but yeah, I, I'm sure all the rehab he had to do, and then he went back to Indianapolis for that last bit during the, the playoffs, so he wasn't completely around the team. So yeah, it'll be interesting. got to cover the Celtics for a couple of years before your job with Yahoo now. What's the best memory you had of doing that? Not so much games or anything like that, but just being around the team and other reporters and TV people and everything else. What was like your favorite moment from those years? I think my my favorite part was definitely that that 2012 playoff run where everyone was like sort of on their last legs it was just one of my favorite parts was like getting to hear Kevin Garnett talk after every game like he was like needed an hour worth of like massaging and whatever ice or whatever to get, even before he came out and he was like clearly all beat up and he kept saying you know you guys have no idea how much it takes for me to like even get out there and uh, looking back on it, actually, it's like, how did the Nets give up that much for a guy who was like at that point? But anyway, just seeing that run where it was like unexpected, and they they gave the the cat uh, the Heat, you know, everything they could handle. They almost won the series, but it was just cool. Like that was the grit and balls Celtics, I think. So, um, you know, it was just cool to see that veteran mentality and and you know the the sort of story arc of like one last shot together and um that, that was really cool brandon bass was on that roster too one of my that's favorites. right yeah 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 that was a that was a cool team that team just sort of reminded like the the isaiah team the year before this past year sort of reminded me of that group just the way that it was like took everybody by surprise and this year a little bit too since they were down two guys and made that run that was I mean, it's it's been unbelievable that they've been pretty much good every year, but that one year after the the Nets trade. And, and if you think about it now, they haven't really had massive expectations since that year. If you think about it, maybe 2013, that last run, there was a little bit riding on that. But you had an idea that they weren't going to be a championship-caliber team then. And then last year, maybe some championship aspirations before the season. But then once Hayward goes down, I mean, people were talking about this being like a 500 team mathematically. So now that they're going to have the whole cast back, championship expectations, how do you think that's going to impact Stevens and just the whole situation there? I mean, I don't think it'll impact them too much just because that's sort of their mentality that they're, like, building – progressively towards this exact thing and it's it's obviously cliche to say that they like don't look back too far and don't look ahead too far but i think with them that's really the mentality that they strive towards and everybody is just trying to get incrementally better that's been his brad staple throughout his career is you know play your best basketball at the end and 
I think that's just what they'll be building towards. And I don't know if they'll really think about like the weight of being a championship contender. You can put yourself in the mentality that you're an underdog anyway because the Warriors are so good. And that's, I guess, the, the view you have to take is just like we're trying to be as good as them and that's going to take a lot of work. <laughs> Horford's going to be a massive part of that, as we know. He was the vital factor in both of the last two playoff runs, which makes you wonder why people still give him a hard time about his play. Maybe it was the Cavaliers thing and some of the struggles he had there, but nothing's driven me crazier than the way some Celtics fans have treated Horford through these years, given his massive impact. If he went down for a long period of time, suddenly you would notice what his vital role on this team is and it's going to be again next year as they try to piece together so many wings and offensive pieces his willingness to be that fourth fifth option is going to be vital next year and i hate to look at next free agency and the free agency after like it's just such a awful way to look at sports i think is just always (laughs) kicking it back because someone's going to be a free agent every single year but that's basically how we've looked at the celtics team now is not just the immense opportunity they have in front of them next year, but how much is riding on all the free agencies coming up over the next two to three years. And I'm glad you wrote about the Horford one because it's gone underrated, the player option he has over next year. I remember at the beginning of the summer, I didn't even realize it was next year that he could end up being a free agent. It's a $30 million option. It's a ton of money. It's still one of the highest salaries in the NBA, never mind the team. So maybe he just clocks into that and that's it. All of a sudden you have Horford for a whole nother season. But if he opts out, how much does that alter things? Because I still look at him. Obviously Kyrie's the main piece going forward, but I still look at Horford as a vital factor in what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that was um, – that's what it- – you know, I was interested to to find out if if they were talking negotiations at, about an extension at all. And from what I found, you know, they said it was highly unlikely that it would happen this year. So I found that, you know, I guess it can go two ways on that. It's like, well, they're not going to get this discount on the years after next. He would have had to get paid the thirty million next year, regardless if they did an extension. Um, now they could have added like three years, 20 million a season or something like that on afterwards to sort of lock them in at a much lower rate. But, um, I think also they might be thinking next year, it may, that might be the time to start talking about that. You can, he could either opt out and get a longer term deal with a little bit more security at a lower rate, um, starting next year. Or, you know, maybe he just rides it out next year and then they start talking about, um, you know, a fair contract in what is that, like 2020. So, you know, I don't think I don't think the the fact that they're not talking extension now means anything about he's going to leave them. Um, But, you know, it, it is a concern. For, for them, you know, because as long as you don't have a guy locked up with all these other guys coming up, you at least have to be a little bit concerned about it. Especially um, when you probably don't have too much. It's hard to even imagine another piece doing what Horford does, but as far as bigs go, you don't have a ton of insurance whatsoever. It's, it's a couple of rotation centers and a piece in Robert Williams who seems 
at least two or three years away if he develops pretty rapidly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think he, I think Horford's a the guy they they want to keep around, and I, I would. My guess is that he would want to because, you know, he chose the Celtics because he had other opportunities like the Thunder and I think the Rockets and the Wizards, which were a little bit more win-now opportunities when he first signed. Um, and But he saw the young core and all the draft picks that the Celtics had, and he was excited about um, what they were building here. And you'd think he'd want to see that through. This is probably his best opportunity to win a title. Um, so my guess is that he he's also interested in staying long term. But until you have the guy locked into those later years, then you got to think about you know a potential replacement or or something to fill that void in the front court. Because yeah, that's that's going to be huge if they ever if they ever did lose him. That would be a problem. And you wouldn't imagine him getting another max deal just because of how he plays. But when you think about his playoff performance, he has risen to that elite level that he played at in Atlanta that ultimately earned him that max contract the first time. So I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. An interesting thing would be uh, his family, too, because he has some young kids that he's raising and I don't know if they're in the situated in the Boston area permanently now but that would be a concern too is another move for his family in the next year or two with kids that age probably doesn't end up being something he wants to do but you don't know on that end either we just saw LeBron James make a massive family decision going out to LA so all those things are in play on the Horford end they're going to have some other free agencies to deal with too but first we have a season to play and we'll be talking about all year with Ben Royback go get the parquet post and read him at yahoo.com thanks Ben good to talk to you as always thanks thanks and thanks for the plugs I gotta get the word out I'm not I'm not a great marketer so I appreciate the plugs on that hey that's what the podcast is all about (laughs) celticsblog.com too go there first yeah yeah there you go there you go (laughs) All right, that's that's episode 46. We'll see you next week. It's Lakers, Lakers, and Lakers next week as we talk to some of the Lakers Nation people about the new era of the Celtics-Lakers rivalry. We'll talk to you then. Good night. Reunion Arena in Dallas, where the Mavs and Lakers are playing tonight, was built in 1980. Now, you couldn't ask for a better facility. It's easily accessible, has all the comforts of a theater, and there isn't a bad seat in the house. But for some reason, there are those who prefer the Boston Garden. Most of those who wear Celtic green. What is so special about the Boston Garden other than the fact that it's a thousand years old? Let's take a look. First of all, a garden it's not. It's a train station, really. One flight up and you're on the fabled parquet floor. Now, before you get all misty-eyed about the parquet, take a closer look.